I'm going to have to tell you. <laughs> there's bad news. There's worse news. And there's really bad news. So we're going to start with the bad news. The bad news is, is Tim Hobbs is still sick. God bless him. This uh, upper respiratory infection has wrestled him to the lower. Um, maybe literally. Um, so he is has been taking antibiotics all week. He's coughing up his lungs. Every time he tries to talk, he's as weak as he can be. So um, hopefully he is... Um, let's give him this, this one more Sunday out, and uh, he will be back at it. Okay, that's the bad news. The worst news is, you got me. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> the worst news is, I, I'm the one that's in the pulpit this morning. The really bad news, my sermon's longer than John Guthrie's was last week. <laughs> Sorry about that, too. Um, well, then I have more bad news because I've changed all the songs. Yeah, if you did not get the updated worship bulletin, um, word went out yesterday afternoon, or Friday, whenever that was, yesterday afternoon that I was preaching. Um, I tell you what, she is on it. Um, she and Rudy were on it. Um, so if you don't have the updated version, watch the screen. Um, that, that'll get you through it. Uh, if you've got the old order of worship, the colorful ones, let me point out a couple of things on the back of it. Um, worship team will not be meeting this afternoon, but you can come an hour early at 4 o'clock and play pickleball. Um, they will be playing this afternoon at 4. Uh, on the courts, on the bottom quarter of the left-hand side of your announcements, um, you will see a couple of things. If you would like to decorate the the altar table, um, you've noticed it's been kind of um, bare of late. Um, so the worship team is giving everybody the opportunity to uh, decorate the uh, offering the offering table. You can um, decorate it in honor of somebody, in memory of somebody, in celebration of anniversaries, of births, of whatever you want to. Um, there is a sign-up sheet over there on the table. Um, pick, a, pick a Sunday, uh, sign your name, give us contact information, phone number, email address, uh, and there's a place on there that says if you would like to do that in honor, in memory, in celebration of something, to, um, to give us that information too, and we will see that that gets published. So that begins the beginning, that begins at the beginning of April, the first Sunday of April. So if you would like to do that, please sign up. If you would like to use flowers, you can use flowers, you can use candles, you can use whatever you want. Um, 
if you use silk flowers, we would love for you to donate them to us after that Sunday. Um, our silk flower arrangements are, are being a little um, used. And they need to be replaced. So if you ought to do a silk flower arrangement, we would love it if you would allow us to keep that uh, after you use it. You will see also on the in there for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday an opportunity to uh, make donations towards the flowers that we will use. After the worship service on Easter Sunday, then you are welcome to take those home with you. Um, but you will see those um, prices listed there. You can call the church office and talk to Dottie about that. Anything I'm forgetting? Hmm? Okay. Um, We welcome you to this house of God this morning called Community Baptist Church. Um, John Guthrie said it well. We live up to our name of Community Baptist Church. Let's greet each other this morning. God, it has been a heavy week. From political fighting to payoffs, from wealthy parents trying to get their kids into prestigious universities, to the deaths of now 50 of our Muslim brothers and sisters in New Zealand. Holy God, it just keeps coming. Bad news after bad news. We are so selfish, so arrogant, so self-righteous, and we act without caring how or if it will affect anyone else. 
it seems that we just don't care as long as it gets us what we want. Holy God, may we be the people who are different. Give us strength to see beyond ourselves. Help us to see that when we work together, when we share what we have, when we respect each other, we all get what we want. And all we want is a peaceful world. God, may we be the people who are different. Grant us grace. Grant us wisdom for the living of these days. In the name of the one who showed us the way, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.
our children could join us down front. Good morning. Come on down, children. We got more than one. Come on. There we go. Two. Three. Here they come slowly. Four. Come on down, baby. I'm not going to bite you. I promise. Good morning. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Is everybody wearing green? Has everybody got something green on? No? I don't have very much green. I had to really hunt for a green tie. There you go. You got it. Well, my name is Greg, and I'm going to talk to you today about a show-and-tell. How about that? Do you also have show-and-tell at school? No? Do you even know what show-and-tell is? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Well, when I was growing up, many of the days, uh, teachers would have show-and-tell and bring something to show-and-tell to their kids. So when I was looking around this week about what to talk to you all about, I looked up on a bookshelf, and I found a book that um, is really, really old. If I'm 60, which that's what I am, I think, the book is probably 55 years old. So it is a scrapbook that my mom put together whenever I was in kindergarten, first, and second grade. So we're not going to take all the time to go through this because that would take about an hour to show you all the stuff in this book. But I did pull out a couple of things that I thought I would, I'd share with you today. Did y'all have paper like this in kindergarten or first grade with all those lines on it? My, this is Gregory Gibson, October the 13th, 1965. <laughs> Singing is fun. What happened? <laughs> Mrs. Peak is nice. That was, that was our, that was our music teacher in, in first grade, Miss Peak. So that was something there that, uh, I found. I thought I'd show you. Let's see here. What else? Oh. A drawing of something. I, I, I don't know if y'all know this, but I, I kind of like to draw. I've always liked to draw. These are some really early drawings. What is that? A fishbowl. Very good. Very, very good. I think this must be tadpoles in there rather than fish. Look here. We even gave Valentine's, like y'all give Valentine's back uh, in, the, in the 60s. So these were Valentine's from friends, from teachers, from um, ones from my brother right here. So um, I thought that was really, really interesting. And then I found this letter that was attached to the back of the, of the Valentine's. And it says, Dear, here's the letter, it says, Dear Gregory, I'm so sorry you had the mumps and couldn't come to the Valentine's party, so I missed the Valentine's party. We have really missed you this week. Thank you so much for the candy and the pretty dishcloth. Mom must have done that because I don't remember anything about the candy and the dishcloth. You really had to know how to make me feel happy. Guess I'll have to be extra nice to you when you come back to school. See you on Monday, love, Miss Molly Urshing. And that was my first grade teacher. And here's one of my favorites. Can anybody tell me what this is? A clown. Very good. With the measles. With the measles. I don't believe it. 
we got a circus. I was a clown, and I'd just gotten over the measles, and so I painted a clown with the measles. Y'all are great. Y'all are playing right along. And I had to include a picture that was in there. So here's a picture of me at kindergarten graduation, front toothless. No teeth. But then I found something else that was in here that I was found really interesting. This is really what I wanted to share with you today. It was it's an article that was in the Gleaner Journal. And it stated Gleaner Journal, Henderson, Kentucky, Friday, July the twenty first, nineteen sixty seven. It's a long time ago. Horse mishap injures boy. Word has been received that Gregory Allen Gibson, young son of Mr. and Mrs. Elmer Gibson, is recovering satisfactorily in hospital in Columbus, Georgia, from injuries sustained in a horseback riding accident Saturday, July the 15th. Tests and x-rays showed only internal injuries, and young Gibson is expected to be released from the hospital this weekend. Mr. and Ms. Gibson and their three sons were on a two-week vacation at Pine Mountain, Georgia, at Callaway Gardens, and had spent one week there when the accident occurred. They will return home soon as their son is released from the hospital. So that was the vacation that we were on, and I had begged for years. We went to Pine Mountain, Georgia, so our dads could play golf for years. I begged to go horseback riding. And finally, finally, my parents got so tired, I think, of hearing me beg. They, they said, okay, we'll go horseback riding. And they put us all on the horses, and then they switched us up on the horses. And they put me on the biggest horse rather than the smallest horse. And the horse's name I will never forget was Nell. That was the horse's name, Nell. And we were on the path going through the, the following the trailmaster, and bees got after the horse, and the horse took off, and the horse went around a corner, and I landed between two trees, got thrown off the horse and landed between two trees. So I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks, actually. And during that time, I can remember all the members from my church sending me cards. I can remember the doctors and the nurses and my parents praying over me. I'll never forget that because it was a rough time. Um, and that's what I really wanted to talk to you about today was the power of prayer and how important that is. And the power of a note. Um, how many of you all have written a note to somebody lately? That's good. That's really, really good. I've got something for you today, and I'm going to ask you to do something with it. But um, notes are really, really good, and they can really lift people's spirits a lot. Um, so with that said, let me t- tell you and show you what I've got for you. And the box, this box I've been using for Children's Moment for years. Look how faded this orange box is. It's really, really old looking, isn't it? But here's what I've got for you. I've got two sets of pencils, and I think there's 24 pencils or so in here, so everybody can have a, a couple of pencils. I'm going to give them to Miss Teresa to hand out when you all go back up, upstairs. But I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to give a pencil to a friend this week. And then I want you to take one of the pencils and I want you to write a note or do a drawing or write a poem, write a prayer, 
to a friend, to your parents, to a grandparent, to somebody. Just write them a note or do a drawing for somebody this week. Can you do that? Okay. I'm anxious to hear who you do something for. So when you come back next week, I want you to tell me who you wrote uh, something for or uh, who you did something for. Okay. Okay. Let's have a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for these children. They mean the world to us. Keep them safe this week. May we guide them and direct them and nurture them as they grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. to give you not only our finances, but all we are, all we have, and all we hold. We open our lives to you for the service of your kingdom. Please work through our offering today, our lives this coming week, and lead us to follow you, Christ, in all that we do and say. Amen. Amen.
scripture this morning is from 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Naaman, commander of the army and the king of Aram, was a great man and in a high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though he, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Armenians, one on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you to my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life, that this man sends word to me to cure the man of his leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet of Israel. So David came with his horses and chariots, and he halted at the entrance of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became very angry and went away, saying, I thought that, for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Arbana and Parfar, the river of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you have not done it? How much more when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean. So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, and he he and all his company, he came and he stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Please accept a present from your servant. This is the word of the Lord.
I love this story. I love the way the Bible is full of people who are just like me, far from perfect. Naaman was the chief military commander of the Aramean king's army, the Colin Powell of his day, and he was really good at it. The scriptures say he was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded and a valiant soldier. But in spite of all his, of his military accomplishments, Naaman had a problem he couldn't fix. He had leprosy. And now the Old Testament Greek uh, word for leprosy is lepra, signified the appearance of rough, scaly patches of skin. It would be medically accurate to say that he had psoriasis or leucoderma or ringworm. As, well, it's true, leprosy. But whatever the skin disease he had, Naaman's social calendar and his life were the same. Not Non-existent. He was a persona non grata. But there was this little Israelite slave girl, after being captured by the Aramean army, uh, was assigned to serve Naaman's wife. This Israelite girl told Mrs. Naaman that if her husband would go see the prophet in Samaria, he would cure Naaman of his leprosy. Naaman believed this girl and asked the king's permission to go to Samaria. The king, of course, wanted his chief commander back in order, barking shape as quickly as possible. So he granted permission and wrote a letter to Jehoram. Israel's king saying that he was sending Naaman to him so that he can cure Naaman of his leprosy. So Naaman gathered up his horses and chariots and servants and left with the letter from the king, as well as ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothes. Well, that translates into 150 pounds of silver, 650 pounds, no, 750 pounds of gold, and a new wardrobe. At today's market prices, actually yesterday's market prices because I looked it up, the silver would be worth $36,792. The gold would be worth $15,642,000. If the political clout of a royal letter didn't work, there was a good old-fashioned payoff. Naaman wasn't taking any chances. He was flying high because he was on his way to a healing. Little did he know. Upon Naaman's arrival, he presented his king's letter to Jehoram and waited for his healing to begin. Instead, Jehoram tore his clothes. He knew he couldn't heal Naaman and assumed he was being provoked into a fight. His back was against the wall. He couldn't cure Naaman, and Naaman's army had already defeated Israel at least once. That's how Mrs. Naaman got her Israelite slave girl. Jehoram was sunk. 
But word had gotten to the prophet Elisha that the king had torn his clothes in grief. So Elisha sent word back to have Naaman drop by and he'd take care of it. Elisha wanted him to know that there was a prophet in Israel as opposed to just the king who thought everything was about war. So Naaman packed up his wardrobe and his $15,687,792 worth of gold and silver back into the trunk of his chariot and he headed for Elisha's house. Once he arrived, Naaman expected a grand ceremony to begin. Lots of ceremonial waving over the disease, lots of elaborate prayers calling on God's behalf, calling God on Naaman's behalf, maybe even a slaying in the spirit or two before it was all over. But certainly lots of pomp and circumstance in the whole process nonetheless. Naaman was sure Elisha would know who he was and treat him accordingly. When he, what he got was not Elisha, but a message from Elisha to go down to the Jordan River and wash himself seven times and he would be cured. Well, Naaman was mad. Not only did Elisha not perform all of the hoopla due to a person of Naaman's status, Elisha didn't even bother to get out of the lazy boy recliner and come outside himself. He sent a messenger. It wasn't Elijah. It was the FedEx delivery guy. To add insult to injury, he had to wash himself in the Jordan River. Couldn't he have just easily stayed at home and washed in one of his own rivers? The Abana River was known as the Golden River. Surely it was better than the Jordan. The Jordan River was muddy and icky. Nobody washed in the in muddy river and expected to get clean, much less cured. Mm-mm. He wasn't going to do it. Elijah hadn't so much as come out of the house, and now he is supposed to go into some dumb, inferior river and wash himself seven times. That wasn't happening. Naaman stopped, stomped off in his big five-star general huff. In their book, The Smartest Guys in the Room, Bethany McLean and Peter Elkind describe the rise and fall of Enron and Ken Lay. In his childhood home in Tyrone, Missouri, Ken Lay grew up as a dirt poor preacher's son. Until he was 11 years old, Lay never lived in a house with indoor plumbing. Lay's parents were uneducated and seemed to face disaster after disaster. However, being acutely aware of the family circumstances, he would run newspaper routes and raise chickens and bale hay. He would spend hours on a tractor daydreaming about the world of commerce. Obviously, all that hard work paid off and... Um, And through 
some uh, educational connections that he made in college in his early professional career, Ken Lay found himself in a position that built that he built an empire and made a ton of money. And that he did. At one point in his rise, he was known as a great man, highly regarded. He spent much of his time in philanthropy. He was the go-to guy for charitable works and raising and giving away millions. He told an interviewer for a religious magazine called The Door, everyone knows that I personally have a very strict code of personal conduct that I live by. This code is based on Christian values. And yet, he began living the image the world had given him and became addicted to the trappings of corporate royalty. He began making millions and taking a large chunk of those earnings home. He and his family used Enron's fleet of corporate jets as if they owned them. On one occasion when a secretary was trying to schedule a flight for a company executive for company's business, she was told that the Lay family had reserved three of the company jets and they were not available. At lunchtime, when lunch was ordered and other executives sat at their desks eating a sandwich on deli paper, Ken Lay's food was placed on fine china and served on a covered silver platter. Like Ken Lay, Naaman's expectations of life were rooted in his image of himself, of his own self-importance, what he thought was due him because of who he was. By golly, he deserved that special treatment. He had earned it. And Naaman was not about to do something as ridiculous as bathe in the Jordan River even once, much less seven times. But Naaman was lucky. He had some very gutsy and obviously very loyal servants who were willing to get right up in his face. And they told them, look, Naaman, if Elijah had told you to do some big, elaborate, complicated thing, wouldn't you have done that? Well, then haul yourself down to the river and start washing. Unlike Ken Lay, Naaman listened to his employees giving him good advice. He stepped out of his all-important general's uniform and into the Jordan River. And when he did, his flesh was restored. And not just the before-he-got-sick regular skin. The scriptures tell us that his flesh was restored to that of a young boy. Naaman was clean and cured. It was then that Naaman realized that not only had his health been restored, but his life had been given back to him as well. As a leper, he'd been an outcast. But cured, he'd be able to return to his life as he knew it. Or could he? When Naaman put on his general's uniform, he realized that it wasn't so shiny anymore. It wasn't so demanding. 
wasn't so status ridden. So he took his gutsy entourage and went back to Elijah's house, this time not to bribe him for something, but to offer his wealth as gifts of thanksgiving to Elijah and the one true God, no longer just the God of Israel, but now the God of naming. There it is. Naaman's conversion. He came face to face with the one true living God and he was changed. Once you realize that God is and has been engaged in your life, you see things differently. You hear things differently. Everything is different and nothing can ever be the same. Naaman got his life back when he finally came to terms with three things. First, he had to come to terms with the sense of his own self-importance and self-sufficiency. He had gotten used to seeing himself in terms of the person that the world had shaped. The world had molded him into some larger-than-life character who believed he was in control of everything and everyone. I would think being a five-star general would give you that impression. When you stand in a room, people, when you enter a room, people stand and snap to attention. You give the words and your commands become reality. You have the power of life and death at your fingertips. It's easy to get wrapped up in your own self-importance when the whole world gives you that kind of power. But once Naaman laid aside his world-shaped image, he was able to see himself as he was, a man with a problem he couldn't fix no matter how much power he had. Being a five-star general didn't give him the ability to cure himself of leprosy. When he finally took off his general's uniform, literally and figuratively, He could hear what his servants were saying to him. When we come to grips with our own arrogance, we realize that we are not self-sufficient. We're just people. And we don't have the power to do it all. We really do need each other's wisdom and insight to see things clearly. And sometimes we even need them to get right up in our face to make us understand. I am in awe of the strength of character these servants must have had. That young Israelite girl was a POW taken away from her her family, assigned to work for the wife of the very army general who had snatched her. She started this whole thing by referring her captor to the one person she knew could cure him. Did she think that Naaman would reward her with her freedom? We don't know. But what we do know is that this girl set aside whatever feelings she may have had in order for her captor, her enemy, to be cured. The other servants with Nathan took a, Naaman took a huge risk in telling him to do what he had been told to do. It's always a risk to challenge your boss, but they too had laid aside their personal feelings. 
If you read the lecture former President Jimmy Carter gave upon receiving the Nobel Peace Prize, you will notice that he never takes credit for anything he accomplished. It's always couched his successes in terms of we and uh, ours. George Washington said, I hope that I shall always possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, the character of an honest man. Second, Naaman got his life back when he came to terms with the notion that he really was a child of the God of Israel. If Naaman was no longer who the world said he was, then who was he? What made him special? He had always relied on his accomplishments of chief commander, but now what gave him value? Naaman came to see that his true worth, as well as our true worth, comes in being a child of God. As the children of God, we all have gifts to offer. Scripture tells us that we have at least one spiritual gift. Don't sit there and tell yourself you don't have one. God didn't go to all the trouble to create you and then send you into the world with nothing to contribute. Your true value does not come in worldly status or possessions. It's not a matter of he who dies with the most toys wins. Your worth comes in being a child of God. Once we get that... We are free to see others as they really are, beloved children of God. In that same Nobel Peace Prize lecture, Jimmy Carter said, The bond of our common humanity is stronger than the divisiveness of our fears and prejudices. God gives us the capacity for choice. We can choose to alleviate suffering. We can choose to work together for peace. And I would add, once we understand we are who we are and what gives each of us value, we are children of God. Last, when Nathan got his, when Naaman, I don't know why I keep calling him Nathan, when Naaman got his life back, he had to come to terms with the fact that not only was he cured, but he was healed as well. There's a difference between being cured and being healed. We can be bodily cured and still not healed. It is when we engage with God, who, with the God who is already engaged with us, that we are healed. Finding healing is harder than finding a cure. We have to wrestle with our own lives, our own theology, our own relationship with God. And that's hard work. Too often we'd rather just take a pill or blame God for not being healed. Engaging in a relationship with God brings understanding and wisdom and resolution. As most of you know, I am an amputee. I was born without the bones in the shin of my right leg. Everything else developed, the bones didn't. So my leg was amputated right above the knee when I was a year old, and I was fitted with my first prosthetic leg six months later. 
Well, when I was in seminary, well, into my adulthood, one of the women who lived in my dorm asked me about my leg. After telling her, she proceeded to tell me that um, if I just had enough faith, God would heal me. Obviously, I didn't have enough faith, or I'd be healed by now. Well, here I am, a full-grown-up adult. I had quit a full-time job making good money, put my furniture in storage, was working three three part-time jobs, and in seminary full-time in order to follow my calling. And this woman's telling me I didn't have enough faith. I was devastated. So through sobs and tears, I called my friend Jeannie and told her this story. In her God-given wisdom, she said, don't you get it? You are healed. You have learned to deal with it and come out on top. There's your healing. She was right. My very wise CPE supervisor told me that it's better to limp through life with a soul that is whole than run through life with a self that is fractured. Naaman realized that not only had he been cured, he'd been healed. He didn't go home just cured of leprosy. He went home whole. He didn't go home with servants who worked for him. He went home with friends who truly cared about him. He didn't go home with just more time to live. He went home with life. When we engage in a relationship with God and realize the depths of God's love for us, God's ability to heal us, whether we're cured or not, God's desire to make us whole, we can't help but be changed like Naaman. So the next time that you're faced with a situation that you don't understand and you're tempted to say to God, you want me to do what? Remember old Naaman. As he heads for home with his new teenage skin, his general's uniform turned inside out, and his entourage walking arm in arm, laughing and celebrating his healing. Amen. Let us stand and sing together.
make God's mercy go.